Indeed, here in your presence, Lord, we bow before you. Father, I thank you, God, for your daughter, Tashina, who will be bringing the word. Lord, this morning, God, I just put Tashina before you. Lord, I pray, Father God, that as she ministers the word, Lord, that she will speak as an oracle of you, the Most High God. Lord, you have already started, Father. So I pray, Father God, that you just continue, Father, and that she will continue, Lord, to allow you to use her as your vessel, Lord, to minister to us this morning. Father, I pray, God, that we will listen, Father, with our ears attuned to your Holy Spirit, God, and hearts that will be obedient, Father, to do whatever it is, Lord, you will charge and challenge us to do this morning. So, Lord, I put your daughter before you, even now. I give you thanks. I give you praise in Jesus' name. And as I introduce our sister Tashina, Tashina is uh, no longer new. She's been with NLH for quite some time now. She's our worship leader. And she has integrated seamlessly into this ministry. She has become such an important, crucial asset in this ministry. I know Pastor Value, sorry, Pastor Eva values her contribution. And, you know, I just, I admire how Tashina allows herself to be used by the Holy Spirit in worship. And she allows the Holy Spirit to flow through her and minister through her. And she has, as, as she comes and she worships, leads worship with us on a Sunday morning, just ushers us into the presence of the Lord. And so I invite you to welcome Tashina. She, for the first time at NLH, will minister the word to us. So receive her and welcome her this morning. And before she comes, I will just play an introductory clip for you. I am the original voice of Siri. I am the original voice of Siri. I am the original voice of Siri. You may not know my face, but you have definitely heard my voice. Will the real voice of Siri please stand up? I am the original voice. All so right. as I introduced Tashina this morning, this is her topic. Will the real come on, sis, come on, sis. Will the real church of okay, will the real church of Jesus Christ please stand up? Welcome our sister this morning. Over to you, sis. All right. Good morning. Good morning, NLH. Good morning on Mixelar. Good morning. Um, will the real Church of Jesus Christ please stand up? I know right off the bat, it, it, it is a very, how do I put it, unorthodox topic, but it is what I felt the Holy Spirit was saying to me that I needed to say to his people. And I pray that this morning that the Lord will confirm his word to somebody's heart. 
that you're not hearing Tashino, you're not seeing Tashino, you will see God, you will hear God. And that what he is saying will resound with you. With the real church of Jesus Christ, please stand up. We might be asking ourselves why this topic, why this unusual topic, and why may that, that designation that it is the church of Jesus Christ that needs to be standing and with those questions in mind, those questions in mind, there's another one coming. Does that then mean that hitherto the church has been seated? If it is so, why then is it important for the church to stand in this particular time? Furthermore, what does standing mean for the church of Jesus Christ? Who is the church? What is the church's purpose? And what is the point of the church being here in the world? Now, I, I want to draw our focus to very recent happenings here in Jamaica that has been splashed across our media and even those overseas, because of the type of world that we live in, you would be very much aware of what has been unfolding in Jamaica through social media and other forms of media. And I don't know for you, but what I have come to realize is that the word church has once again been dragged out and it is being tossed to and fro, tattered, stamped upon, stamped upon through the many expressions we hear coming through social media. And especially those expressions that speak of people's distrust of churches. And that's just the tame, the tame, tamest, I can say, of the graphic expressions we are hearing about the church. A question came to mind when I started to see, and I, I mean, um, since last week, since certain happenings, Jamaica's media, media houses, if, if you're on social media, whatever it is, however it is you connect to the world, we would have been inundated with um, revelation after revelation of things that have uh, have previously been hid from the wider society. And the question that came to me from that, watching how the name church, the word church was once again being dragged through the mouth. I, I question myself and I, I question the Lord, what should the church's response be to this? Should it be that this church is now going to cower in silence and we're going to stay mum until the dust settles a bit? Or should it be that the church of Jesus Christ choose this very time to, to not just stand up, but to stand out 
and be identified as being separate and apart from the world's definition of it. While we ponder that, my brothers and my sisters, I want to put forth, forward to us this morning three major points for our consideration. The first one I want to bring to us in my aim through the power of the Holy Spirit to reintroduce the church to us and to the world. I want us to first consider the characters of the church. The characters of the church. Simply put, I want us to look at those who played major roles in the church's establishment and foundation, its existence today and its function. And without a doubt, we all know that the founder and cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ himself. And during his time, when he was here on earth, he went about and he taught. And during that same ministry, he also called forth the first set of disciples. They also had a fundamental role to play in the establishment of the church as they were the first set to be called Christians. Now, what did Jesus do after calling his disciples? He sent them out into the world to preach the gospel. But after his ministry here on earth had ended and he was ascending into heaven, he, uh, he, he further gave them what we know as the Great Commission. One thing I want us to pay attention to and get today is that though Jesus had left them physically, and, and you're going to hear this come up maybe more than once, he had left them with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And if you look in Acts 1 verse 4, you will see that detail there. He left them with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So he had left them, but he had not left them bereft. He left them with the promise that he was sending the Holy Spirit. Now, as these disciples were sent out into the world to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, so were others saved, they were baptized, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it continues until this day. I want, us, I want to introduce another character of the church to us. And I'm going to coin a word that I, I, all my dictionaries tell me they do, that the word does not exist. The empowerer of the church. And the empower of the church of Jesus Christ, the real church of Jesus Christ, is none other than the Holy Spirit himself. You see, in Acts 2, where he came on the day that we now celebrate as the day of Pentecost, while the believers were gathered together, in some versions, it says, on one accord. Now, we know that prior to this, John had baptized Jesus. And what John did was pointed to as a very example to say that while John had baptized with water, the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit would, would baptize with fire. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 3, we would see that. 
not only did he baptize with fire, that is the Holy Spirit, but there was an, a, a, an instant manifestation of that fire baptism. And the saints who were gathered together, they spoke in tongues. Now from that, that was a significant, the most significant point in the beginning, in the foundation, in the starting of the church. From that very moment, as had been foretold by the prophet Joel many years before this event, the, the Holy Spirit had now shown up in this way. That does not mean that the Holy Spirit was not present before the church began, no. The Holy Spirit is clearly at work throughout the world's history. We see him at work in creation, see him at work in the incarnation of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see him in the new birth of human beings when they come into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see him in the inspiration and the illumination of the Bible. And we see him in the transforming of believers. My brethren, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet he dwells in the heart of everyone who comes to faith in Jesus. Take, for example, what he said to us in Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Holy Spirit transforms believers into witnesses of their faith so that the gospel is spread worldwide. The Holy Spirit is also at work within churches. He gathers and he protects them. But he also purifies the church so that ultimately she will be holy and blameless and above reproach before God. In all this, the Holy Spirit is not focused on himself, not at all, but on the glory of Jesus. Now I want to introduce you to another major character of the church, the body of Christ. And that is how Christians are, are commonly referenced in the New Testament. And really it should refer to all those who are truly saved. Now, I'm going to quickly throw some scriptures at you as evidence to show where we are referred to as the body of Christ. Now the church is called one body in Christ in Romans 12 verse 5. We are called one body in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 17. We are referred to as the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27. And Ephesians 4, verse 12. In Hebrews 13, verse 3, 
we are referred to as the body. The church is also clearly equated with the body of Christ in Ephesians 5 verse 23 and Colossians 1 verse 24. Now, when Christ entered our world, he took on a physical body that had been prepared for him. And you can see Hebrews 10 verse 5 and Philippians 2 verse 7 to confirm this. Through his physical body, Jesus demonstrated the love of God clearly, tangibly, and boldly. He did this openly and the biggest act, I think, up until now, there is no one that can match that demonstration of love by the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he did through his sacrificial death on the cross. Now, after his bodily ascension, Christ continues his work in the world through those he has redeemed. And we, the real church of Jesus Christ, we now demonstrate what Christ demonstrated. And that is the love of God clearly, tangibly, and boldly. In this way, the church is functioning as the body of Christ. Now, I have a few other facts that I want to bring across to us this morning that have to do why the church, do with, I'm sorry, why the church may be called the body of Christ. Number one, members of the body of Christ are joined to Christ in salvation. Ephesians 4 verse 15 to 16 shows us that. Secondly, members of the body of Christ follow Christ as their head. I want you to listen clearly to number two again. Members of the body of Christ follow Christ as their head. And Ephesians 1 verses 22 to 23 will help to bring this out to us. There is no other head of the church but Christ. Therefore, any establishment, any organization who will seek to represent itself as the church and does not have Christ as their head, quite clearly cannot be the church, cannot be the real church of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is the only head of the church. Thirdly, 
Members of the body of Christ are the physical representation of Christ in this world. The church is the organism through which Christ manifests his life to the world today. I want us to remember this point. Let me say it again. We, the members of the body of Christ, are the physical representation of Christ in this world. Basically, we are his ambassadors. The church is the organism through which Christ manifests his life to the world today. Fourth, members of the body of Christ are in dwelt by the Holy Spirit of Christ. See Romans 8 verse 9. Fifth, members of the body of Christ possess a diversity of gifts suited to particular functions. And if we should remember that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all of that there from verse 4 to verse 31. But let me highlight verse 12 just to remind us of this. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Number six. Members of the body of Christ. Christ share a common bond with all other Christians, regardless of background, race, or ministry. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 25 reminds us that there should be no division in the body, but its, its parts should have equal concern for each other. Number seven. Members of the body of Christ are secure in their salvation. John 10, verse 28 to 30. So for a Christian to lose his salvation, God would have to perform an amputation on the body of Christ, a spiritual amputation to remove a member of the body of Christ. Think of what a physical amputation involves, my brother and sisters. And for a moment, imagine what, that, what happens to the body of Christ if God would have to perform an amputation on the body of Christ. Think for a moment. Number eight. Members of the body of Christ partake of Christ's death and resurrection. See Colossians 2 verse 12. Number nine. Members of the body of Christ share Christ's inheritance. Romans 8 verse 17. Number 10, members of the body of Christ receive the gift of Christ's righteousness. Romans 5, verse 17. Now that we have been introduced to the characters of the church, 
I want to introduce to you the characteristics of the church. And under this point, what I really want to bring home to us, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring it home and make it clear to us. I want us to understand one, what the church is, and secondly, what the church is not. Now, one of the things, one of the popular views, and it's well known, we know this, many people today understand the church to be a building, right? When we're talking about church, I'm going to church, it means I'm heading to a physical building. But quite frankly, this is not the biblical understanding of the church. Now, the word church is a translation of the Greek word ecclesia, which is defined as an assembly or called out ones. Now, the root meaning of church is not that of a building. That's not what is to be understood from this but of a people, a called out people, an assembling of a called out set of people. Now, isn't it ironic? And as I said, we know, we, well, we, we, we are well acquainted with this belief that when you ask people nowadays what church they attend, they usually identify a denomination that is associated with a particular building. Isn't that the response we normally get? I go to such and such a church and you're able to identify it based on where the building is located. <laughs> but Romans 16 verse five says to us, greet the church that is in their house. Now here Paul is referring to the church in their house, not a church building but a body of believers. I'll point out something else to you that happened at when, when the church started in the, in, in, as in Acts chapter two. What, what used to happen is that the brethren used to meet together. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we are, we're cognizant of this, that the brethren used to meet together in each other's houses. And for those of us who may have backgrounds in churches that have cell groups, yes, this is how it started. There was no big, all these big pretty buildings that we'll have right nowadays and people are heading to that one. It's like the, the buildings are competing to see which one can be bigger and, uh, and the, the grandest of them all. No, that was not what it was. It was a gathering of people and if it was a house, of one of the members that was available for meeting at, the, at this time, that is where they would meet. And so that is how even today we have um, cottage meetings happening and, and growing up with having cell meetings where different mem where members of the body of Christ would come together in a member's house to worship. It was not the where of the gathering, but it was who was gathering and also in whose name they were gathering. Now, as I said to us earlier, the church is the body of Christ of which he is the head. Ephesians 1 verse 22 to 23 says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be 
head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The body of Christ is made up of all believers in Jesus Christ from the very beginning, from the day of Pentecost until Christ returns. And here I want to give us a visual. I want to paint a picture in our, our minds of, of what the scripture just meant to us. The, um, where it says, let me go back to it just a little bit and just to illustrate it for us. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I'm gonna draw on an excerpt from a popular book called The Divine Revelation of Heaven by Mary Kay Baxter. And there's a particular section in it entitled The Body of Christ. And I'm just going to read it. It's a very short excerpt. And I'm going to read it. And I want you to, to try to visualize this particular picture in your head. It has to do with when Christ returns to take home his bride, which is the body of Christ. And I want us to understand why it is that right now in the earth we are referenced as the body of Christ. I let me read. In this vision I beheld a large spiritual body high in the heavens. It was the body of Christ which was lying on its back while blood dripped to the earth. I knew this represented our Lord's slain body. The body grew larger and larger. Until it encompassed the heavens. Going up into it. were millions and millions of redeemed saints. I watched in astonishment as millions climbed up a staircase to the body and filled it, beginning with the feet and continuing through the legs the arms, the stomach, the heart, and the head. When it was full, I saw that it was filled with people from all corners of the earth. And with a mighty voice, they praised the Lord. Now, biblically, we may regard the church in two ways. And that's one as a universal church, as demonstrated just now. The church universal 
scattered all over the world or as the local church. Now the, the universal church consists of everyone everywhere who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 12 verse 13 says to us, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether we are Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. This verse is saying to us that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is part of the body of Christ and has received the spirit of Christ as evidence. All of those who have received salvation through faith in Jesus Christ comprise the universal church. My brothers and sisters, I say to you that though we will not ever be able to, to meet every single individual while here on earth who comprises the universal church, be very sure today that you are a part of the real church of Jesus Christ because on that great day, you will surely meet every one of them. Be very sure that you are a part, and I repeat it for emphasis, that you are a part of the real church of Jesus Christ. So that all the millions of saints scattered across this universe will be known to us on that great day when we come together to go to be with our Lord. I'm sorry. Now the local church is described in Galatians 1 verse 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. And we are very much acquainted with how um, Paul would write his letters in this fashion. Here we see that in that particular province of Galatia, there were many churches. They had a localized ministry and were scattered throughout the province. They were local churches. So in our context now, a Baptist church, maybe a Lutheran church, an Anglican, an E-free church, whatever it may be, is not the church as in the universal church. Rather, it is a local church, which, which is a local body of belief. The, the universal church is comprised of everyone, everyone who belongs to Christ. The third point that I want to bring to us this, this morning is the calling of the church. Now, what I understood calling here to mean is purpose. The calling of the church speaks to the purpose for which the church was created. And if ever there was a purpose statement for the church, it would be Acts 2.42. 
that says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, according to this verse, the, the purposes or the activities of the church, whichever one you want to use, should be one, teaching biblical doctrine, two, providing a place of fellowship for believers, third, observing the Lord's supper, and fourth, and very important, praying, ceaseless praying. The church is to teach biblical doctrine. Why? So we can be grounded in our faith. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 tells us, then we will no longer be in fact, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. The church is to be a place of fellowship where Christians can be devoted to one another and honor one another. In Romans 12 verse 10, we see that illustrated. It should also be a place where we can instruct one another. Romans 15 verse 14. We should also be kind, should also be compassionate to one another. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse 32. We should encourage one another as we see in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. And above all, and most importantly, we must love one another. 1 John 3, verse 11. The church is to be a place where believers can observe the Lord's Supper and this will help us to remember Christ's death and the shed blood on our behalf, on, and his shed blood, let's put it like that, on our behalf. The concept of breaking bread also carries the idea of having meals together. This is another example of how the church promotes fellowship. The final purpose of the church, according to its purpose statement in Acts 2.42, is prayer. The church is supposed to be a place that promotes prayer, teaches prayer, and practices prayer. In Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7, we are encouraged in this way. That we are not to be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, which surpasses all understanding, will guard not just your hearts, it will guard your hearts, but it will also guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, another commission given to the church is proclaiming the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we would remember the great commissioner in Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20, and where it was highlighted again in Acts chapter one, verse eight. The church is called to be faithful in sharing the gospel through word and deed. 
The church is to be a lighthouse in the community, pointing people toward our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church is to both promote the gospel and prepare its members to proclaim the gospel. Now, some final purposes of the church are given to us in James chapter 1, verse 27. And it says, Religion that God, or Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The church is to be about the business of ministering to those in need. This includes not only sharing the gospel, but also providing for the physical needs, the clothing, the food, and the shelter as is necessary and appropriate. The church also has the responsibility to equip the believers in Christ with the necessary tools they need to overcome sin and to, free, and to stay free from the pollution of the world. The church should teach believers and bring them, help to bring them to an understanding of what it is to be in the world, but to not be of it. And this can only be done, my brothers and sisters, by biblical teaching and Christian fellowship. So, what is the true purpose? What is the purpose of the church? We'll come back to Paul. He gave an excellent illustration to the believers in Corinth. Let me bring it down to as simple an explanation as possible. The church is God's hands. The church is God's mouth. The church is God's feet in this world. Literally, we are the body of Christ. And you can look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through to 27 to see this. My brothers and sisters, we are to be doing the things that Jesus Christ himself did while he was here and would be doing right now if he were still physically present on earth. The church is to be Christian. Christian. We are to be Christ-like. And we are to be Christ following. Why does the church need to stand? After laying out all this about the church. Why now does the church need to stand? From what I understood from what the Holy Spirit was trying to impart to me. To impart to you my brothers and sisters is that right now, because of how the word church has been misused and manhandled and all types of meanings have been slapped on and aligned to it, 
it is time for the church, the real church of Jesus Christ, to once again know who we are. To, to know whose we are and to know why we need to stand up and to stand out so that the false representations of church that are being put out into mainstream media can be silenced. We, my brothers and sisters, as the church, as the body of Jesus Christ, have the power to, to, to silence the naysayers, the false prophets, and all those who would want to drag the name of Jesus Christ through the mud. This power has been given to us because of who we are in Christ Jesus and because we belong to him. The church needs to stand because we are supposed to be standard bearers in the world. We are supposed to be light bearers for the world to see. If our lights as the church of Jesus Christ are hidden, then how will this ever-darkening world see its way to our Savior? Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16 is well known, but it is worth us being reminded that we are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, what do they do? They put it on its stand. And when it's on its stand, it can give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, my brothers and sisters, we should let our lights shine before others that they may see our good deeds and not glorify us, but glorify our Father who is in heaven. So we can talk about him all day as we should. We should praise him constantly. We, we can praise him constantly for all he has done for us as we should. But my brothers and sisters, we also need to shine our light and bear our fruit so that others may see a clearer path to him. My brothers and sisters, if ever there were a time in history that the real church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up, it is now. The real church needs to be identifiable by its characters and its characteristics, by what it is and what it is not. It needs to be identifiable by its purpose because it is through these things that the church will clearly show who she is to this world. So though the name of the church has been dragged by the world, though the name of the church has been tried and found guilty in the court of popular opinion and social media, especially as we are dealing right now in the unmasking of certain 
organizations in Jamaica and the, their, their misdeeds and their evil works. I'm not even going to pretty talk, especially in light of the divisiveness created by arguments between those who are for and those who are against vaccination. There are those also who have pitted themselves against government mandates by continuing to have mass gatherings for worship with the belief that if the doors of the temple, the physical building are closed, the church will cease to exist. But my brothers and sisters, this is not so. In Matthew 18 verse 20, we are told, for where two or three are gathered, together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. My brothers and sisters, it is not the physical gathering of bodies that connects us, but it's the one in whose name we gather. In Matthew 20, that same, in Matthew chapter 18, that same scripture there, a few, there are a few verses, a few times where Jesus references the two or three principle. And he was showing there, what, I, what I, I am getting from it though, is that he was showing the disciples what was possible because of his presence. It was Jesus who spoke in the chapter. And Jesus was showing his disciples what was possible because of his presence. It is that same power and that same presence, my brothers and sisters, that still empowers and unifies the church today through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has not gone anywhere. The Holy Spirit is not under quarantine or lockdown, no. The Holy Spirit is still very much present and will only leave the earth when the church that is the bride of Christ has been taken out of this world. So we have much clamoring in society now for the doors to be reopened and of course we miss the fellowship and the oneness, the hugs and the kisses of our brethren, the warmth that we experience and nothing is wrong, absolutely. I'm not saying that there is anything wrong with missing those things but the fact is the church, and that is the real church, has not been shut down because its powerhouse, the Holy Spirit, lives within each and every member of the body. I want to just quickly put forward just one other point. And one of the things that I want us to meditate on, my brothers and sisters, is that the real church is not ruled by fear. And sadly, and I say sadly for a reason, this is not very well known in the courts of social media and popular media and culture, which so readily try sentence and execute the church on a daily basis. This absence of fear, but presence of holy awe and reverence for our God is one of the clearest lines of demarcation that separates 
cults, false prophets and the like from the true church of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verses 14 to 15 states, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves. Let me say that again. The spirit you received, the spirit of God does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. That again right there, my brothers and sisters, is very significant because it points to the fact that before receiving the spirit of God, you once lived in fear. But now that you have received his spirit, you are now known as children of God. And here we are being told that that spirit that now lives within us as children of God will not have us being slaves, will not have us being fearful. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to son sonship and by him, and that is why we cry, Abba, Father. Now, let, let, me, let me draw some parallels to some local happenings. As I've said, whether you're a Jamaican living in Jamaica right now or living overseas, nothing separates us because of the World Wide Web anymore. And we would have recognized some very grievous happenings over the last week. But let me bring assurance and put someone's mind at rest today by the power of the Holy Spirit. What took place in St. James is in no way, shape or form the work or the activity of the real church of Jesus Christ. It was very much motivated by fear. It was very much motivated by greed. It was very, very much motivated by hate. And therefore, none of that could have been of God. And it could not and cannot be a part of the body of Christ. It was devilish and demonic in every way, shape, and form. And can I tell you, my brothers and sisters, we have not seen the worst of it yet. As the real church of Jesus Christ, our response should be, yes, pray for those who are involved and affected. Pray for them. Because revelations are still, things are still being unearthed and revelations are still coming out at ju just about how deep that establishment was 
and it went on unchecked for years. So think about all of the damage that has been done. And we know the damage that has been done to the church, the name church. But the real church of Jesus Christ should also loudly and vehemently condemn those activities. We should not be silenced. And we should have no fear in demonstrating who we are as the real church of Jesus Christ so that people can really see the differences and know truth from fake. We can be very sure, my brothers and sisters, that whatever spirit motivated those activities, it certainly was not the Holy Spirit of God. And let me just share just one more thing with you. And this was published in the Observer this week. And it is one of the persons who was a part of that cult. And I want, why I'm just gonna share an excerpt from the article, not the whole article. It can be found on line. And I want to show us that um, fear was the, the motivation, evil, really. All right. No, okay, let me see, I start here. Now for an entire month in March of last year, 70 congregants of Pathways International Kingdom Restoration Ministries who are told to pay $100,000 each for entry into Kevin Smith's ark, ark, slept on concrete floors and barely had enough to eat. The first boarding of the ark ended badly but without the loss of life seen during last week's bloody second attempt. Yesterday, that's during the week, a victim of Sunday's ritual who had boarded the ark on both occasions painted a picture of an organization heavily focused on feathering the nest of its leader and followers who often blindly complied with the shepherd's wishes. In an exclusive interview with the Jamaica Observer, the victim who asked not to be identified by name said, Smith's first call for them to board the ark came just a week after Jamaica confirmed its first COVID-19 case. Quoting Smith now, he told us to take out loans and bring them to buy food because the Lord spoke to him and told him that something is coming. That was the novel coronavirus pandemic that was coming. He knew about it. I don't know how, but he knew about it before he, it came. He then called the ark on March 17. He said that we should all get into the ark because a lot of things were going to happen and the coronavirus is going to kill a lot of people. We believed him. 
the young man added. He explained that the ARC was the name Smith gave to the physical building of the organization now being labeled a cult. It was stocked with supplies paid for with loans taken out by congregants. I won't go much further. I'll, I'll share the, the link after a while. But I, I, I just hope you heard enough because the article is going to go on to tell you about persons who not only paid $100,000, but paid $300,000 to secure them and their family. And the, the grueling treatment that they were put through for four weeks, all because of fear. All because of fear and not knowing what the real church of Jesus Christ should look like. May I leave with us as I close a charge from an old Christian hymn. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From Hallelujah. victory unto victory, his army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. My brothers and sisters, I end where we started this morning where Sister Karen read for us from 1 Peter 2, and she read from verse 9. But let me just go up to verse 4 a bit and read right back down to verse 9. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a, a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God 
for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, the real church of Jesus Christ, please stand up. Amen and amen.